was leaving. Uh, man, amazing place, amazing place, really, just, um, wow. Uh, you know, I spent um, sixth grade to twelfth grade in Southern California, a um, little bit more than that, actually. Uh, Port Irwin, California doesn't count as Southern California. You know, when you drive to, to, to uh, Southern California and before you get to Barstow, you see that sign that says Fort Irwin that way. Well, it's a long way that way. You know, it's out in the middle of nowhere. That does not count. Um, but I've never been to Santa Barbara, and so we, uh, we just decided to, to, to disappear. And so I, 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 I hope that you are blessed by uh, our speakers. The last two weeks, we've had different speakers. Jesse, I know Jesse had a word. Uh, that he was sharing with me, and I thought, man, I need to hear that word right there. So, um, and Brother Roy as well. Brother Roy, you know, there's a scripture verse that says we need to be ready in season and out of season, uh, you know, for whatever may come our way. And Brother Roy is always ready to share a word, you know. He's like, hey, man, could you share? Yep, yep, no problem. What time? <laughs> yeah, so, um, um, hey, let me ask you this question. The message tonight is called Times and Seasons. Times and Seasons. Um, are you enjoying the fall season so far? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. It's nice. It's nice weather. Uh, it's in the, um, uh, what, 70s now. That's a good thing. And then uh, evenings are nice and cool. That's a good thing. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, our seasons are weird because we have these, when it's supposed to be cool, sometimes it's warm. It was about three or four weeks ago, maybe a month ago. It was so warm. Like, no, it can't be this warm this time of year. But we're blessed to live where we live. And uh, it's, I'm enjoying the fall season, you know, windows open and all that good stuff. Uh, times and seasons. That, that's the message this morning or this evening. But let me ask you this question. What, um, what does it mean to be a child of light? What does that mean to be a child of light? To live in the light. What does it mean to live in the light? To walk with Christ. What else? To reflect God. Yeah. What else? But what is the opposite of that? What is the opposite of living in light? In the light. Living in darkness. And what does that mean? Doing a bunch of stuff you ain't supposed to be doing. Living a certain way you're not supposed to be living. Why is the contrast between... Living in the light or living in darkness? Why that contrast? Why do you think? And we know that it means spiritually, but it also means kind of physically as the way we live our lives. But why the difference, the differentiation between darkness and light? Why? Why that? And there are other differentiations as well. Alive in Christ, dead in, Christ, dead in the world. So what are some other... Uh, uh, why do you think that... that, that that so often you see the contrast between darkness and light. Things can be hidden in darkness. Yeah, yeah. And in the light, things show up. What else? Is the darkness a, a fearful place? It can be, especially when it's real dark. When it's so dark, you can't see in front of you at all. You ever been inside a cave, mammoth caves up in Utah? That's dark. The further you go, the darker it gets. And at first, it's a little bit slippery, too, because some, there's some water uh, at, at those, at least when we were there. And, uh, you know, at first, it's not too bad. And things keep getting darker and darker. And then pretty soon, it's, it's thick, 
thick black, you, you just, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit scary, a little bit scary. Um, things grow in the light. Yeah. Okay. So spiritual analogies. Um, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're in First uh, Thessalonians chapter five, finishing up the book of First Thessalonians, and then we'll move into Second Thessalonians, Lord willing. All right. Uh, times and seasons. Times and seasons. Uh, three weeks ago, I think it was three weeks ago. We were finishing up on chapter 4, and we saw how the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the voice of the archangel and with the blast of the trumpet, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And what does it mean to be dead in Christ? Those who are literally dead in Christ, those who have fallen asleep in Christ. The dead in Christ shall rise first, then we who are alive, who's we who are alive? The ones that are living when, at that time, that's us, will be um, uh, caught up, and so it says, we will always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words, and First Thessalonians is about the comfort of those that are grieving those who are, who have departed, those who have died, and also uh, we'll see those who are wondering if the day of the Lord has already come, all right, and so First Thessalonians chapter 5, the times and the seasons, verse 1 through 3 says, now concerning how and when all this will happen, all of what will happen, go to chapter 4, and Paul the Apostle is talking about the return of Christ, uh, those who are dead, the rapture uh, of, uh, of the body of Christ, the reuniting together with the Christ and the Lord uh, in, in the air. So he says, concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and seasons, uh, and sisters, I'm sorry, I got times and seasons on my mind. We don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. And so the Thessalonians were well taught in the return of Jesus and other prophetic matters because Paul the Apostle had already visited them once and even though he was with them just for a few weeks, a short period of time, obviously he spent some time speaking to them about the times and the seasons regarding the return of Christ. So they had some idea of the prophetic times they lived in. They could discern the culture. They could discern the times and discern the seasons. Now remember, he was only with them a couple of weeks, but in that time... They must have discussed that because Paul says, I don't need to go over it again with you, seemingly because we've already discussed it, all right? So Jesus, previous to this, had criticized the religious leaders of his day in Matthew chapter 16 because they could not discern the sign of the times, signs of the times. First uh, 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 Chronicles, not Corinthians. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32 says of the tribe of Ishakar, uh, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. Okay, we as believers in Jesus should study the word of God and look at current events so that we can understand the times and the seasons. One uh, Christian um, uh, author wrote this. Speaking of times and seasons, says the first designates time and its duration. 
whether a longer or shorter period. The second draws attention to the characteristics of the period. The first deals with the measurement of time. You could say wall clock. The second with the suitable or critical nature of the time. Tell me about the times and the seasons that we live in right now. What is going on in our nation? What is going on in this world right now? Okay? We as believers had better be discerning of the times and the seasons because if we are, then we'll be able to discern that, you know what, it won't be long before Christ comes back. There are certain indicators which we'll go over probably next week or maybe even uh, the week after, uh, indicators of the, that tell us that we're in the end times. There are certain times and seasons and indicators and things that Jesus and the Word of God says will happen. We'll go over those. But we need to know these things. We need to be able to speak edu- uh, 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 with uh, educatingly. What's the word? <laughs> What's the word? We need to be able to speak uh, about the times and the seasons. Not that we should spend all of our time studying and learning and this news report and what this person says, but there's a balance of knowing what's going on so that we could speak in the marketplace about the times and the seasons. You don't have to be a Christian to know that things are crazy in our world. You don't have to be politically connected or, or watch the news all the time to know that even in our own nation, things are crazy. Things are not out of control, but it's like at some point you think, man, it's just, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Now, I was, um, we were watching the news the other night, and it was a local channel, and, and it was just one news report after another news report after another. And I said, finally, turn it off. I don't even want to hear that anymore. It's crazy. Now, on the one hand, I want to know what's going on in my city in particular. I feel like I need to know. Many times God has opened up doors of opportunities because I knew about some situation and was able to respond somehow. Uh, but the, but, but, but it, our, our, let's just talk about America. What do you see happening in America? Tell me, what do you see? Where are we headed as a nation? I'm not talking politically because we understand that the answers to our nation will not come out of Washington, D.C. They will not. What do you see? What do you see? What's happening? What are the times and the seasons that we live in? Spiritually, fallen. Are we asleep spiritually? The church, we're not talking about people who don't know Jesus, but the church, I mean, that's, are we asleep? What else? I don't know. What else? Corruption. What else? Complacency. Compromising. What's that? Drunkenness. We've turned our back on our only ally in the Middle East, for the most part, Israel. We've turned our back on that. Well, you know... Uh, It's not a good thing to be against Israel. I mean, it's not a good thing. Uh, We're going to talk about Israel in two weeks. What else? Good and evil. No difference. No difference. Man, I'm watching the news last night, and and they're arguing about the latest video that that came out with Planned Parenthood. and, 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 And there's no argument about what's going on. And yet people want to argue, like, well, you know, you have to understand. You don't have to understand anything. This is just, I mean, to the, the place where, what is it about a nation where we don't even care or don't even say that that's wrong? 
that we would even argue that it's okay. That's crazy. It's insane. Oof, it's hellish. It's hellish. And, and, and so, so how are we to respond, Christians? How are we to respond to... Now, now listen, America's the greatest nation on earth. But, but we had better not think that we are above uh, falling, rebuke, judgment. You know, uh, we had better not think that our military will get us out of anything. And we do have the greatest military on earth. But that is not where true power comes from. I'm not, and hey, my dad did 21 years and, and two wars and three terms. And so I'm not, I'm not anti, I'm for, I'm for a strong military. But that is not the answer. It's not the, it's not the answer. It's not the answer. And the time, look at the times and the seasons we live in. You know, people blaming this group, people blaming that group, people blaming Israel, people blaming it's this, it's that. And you know what? The, the issue is there's a spiritual vacuum. There's a spiritual vacuum. That's, all, all of our issues can all be tied to a spiritual vacuum. It's not about black or white or rich or poor or haves or have-nots or what, however we want to. And we in America love to separate ourselves. It is amazing how far we've come and yet how far we have to go because we're so divided. We are divided in so many different ways we're, as a nation. We're just divided. We're divided class-wise. We're divided uh, religious-wise. We're divided racially. We're divided poor-rich. We're divided politically. It's like our nation feeds on division. Personally, just me, no disrespect to anyone who says it. I don't like the term African-American. I don't. What's that make me? I mean, my mom's German. My dad's black. What of me? Question, if you're white, but you were born and raised in South Africa, and you moved to America, are you an African-American? <laughs> Our brothers from Africa, they don't consider themselves African-American. They consider themselves African. Just me. I'm just saying. No disrespect, but it's just another form of division. We are so divided. And you know what? That comes out time and time again. And you, you don't have to look too far to realize, listen, we're going to destroy our own selves. There's a lot of money to be made in division. The times and the seasons. We are not ignorant to the fact that America is not a player in the end times. We're not ignorant to that. But we're also not ignorant that righteousness exalts a nation. And that even as Jonah walked through Nineveh and proclaimed, 40 days and judgment will come, it was because of Nineveh's repentance, it was 120 years later. The times and the seasons that we live in. The day of the Lord. Concerning how and when, the times and the seasons, Paul says, that this will happen. Dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. What is the day of the Lord? In the Old Testament, it was a term used for judgment poured out on God, desolation, darkness. Joel chapter 2 verse 1 speaks of the locust that was a prophecy about judgment who was, that was coming. 
when God would march against the enemies of Israel, in a sense. God would war against them. That was the day of the Lord. Also, when God punished his own people for their backsliding and their unfaithfulness and their idolatry, that was considered the day of the Lord. It's judgment on uh, uh, a victim. it's victory for the cause of the Lord and blessings for the faithful, the day of the Lord. Now, there was also in the Old Testament a day of the Lord that spoke of a future time that was going to come. In the New Testament, the day of the Lord begins with the rapture of the church and includes the tribulation, also known as the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel nine twenty seven, Matthew 24, if you want to read more, Revelation 6, chapter 6, verse 1 through nineteen sixteen. the day of the Lord. It, 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 it encompasses the second coming of Christ with his holy ones, with his saints. Malachi 4.1, 2 Thessalonians we'll get to, chapter 2. It encompasses the thousand-year reign of Christ when Christ reigns and rules on the earth and the final destructions of the heavens and the earth by fire, First, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 and verse 10. And so the day of the Lord in the New Testament, it's not a single day but it's a season where God advances his agenda. Now, God is always advancing his agenda, but he has allowed man to advance his agenda for a time and a season. And then at some point, the Lord is going to step in and say, now it's my day, and now it's my time, and then we'll begin uh, the day of the Lord. And uh, it will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night this time. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 says, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? This is right before he ascended back into heaven. Right after three years of explaining to them what the kingdom of God was, they go, okay, so now? Now are we once again going to be a great nation like we once were? And he says, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know. Oh, Anybody know Acts 1.8? You will see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So he said, hey, listen, don't worry about the times and the seasons, the restoration of Israel and the, and, the, and the kingdom of God. Don't you worry about that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my martyrs, my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost part of the world. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about the times. and the, Know the times and the seasons. But don't start setting dates and don't be trying to say, according to Bible chronology, 6,000 A.D., blah, no, no, no. You can do that mathematics and play around with it if you want to, but don't you worry about that. Don't spend so much time doing that that you're not busy being a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, most parts of the world. Paul was not one to set dates in regard to prophecy, and Jesus really forbid his people from setting dates. When he said that of that day and of that hour, no one knows. God wants this day to be unexpected, but he wants his, day, his people to be prepared for the unexpected. God wants the day of the Lord to be unexpected, but he wants his people to expect the unexpected. Why do you think he didn't tell us when it was going to happen? Why didn't he tell his apostles? Why do you think he didn't say anything? If we knew the day and the time and the hour, well, that might just change how we live. 
<laughs> Listen, bro, we got another two years. Uh, Christ ain't coming back. We got two years. According to what the, what the Bible says, so, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to live our lives our way, and about a month, okay, about two weeks, all right, maybe a day or two before Christ returns, we're going to get it together. <laughs> Church going to be packed. Could you imagine? Christ is coming back in one week. Church, I mean, you couldn't get everybody in the churches that would come in. Oh, my God. What? Two weeks. I'm get my life right right now. People be coming to the altar, getting born again every day. Just in case. You could. 24-hour church. Had to be online or something. Oh, no. Internet church. That's how we live your life, expecting the unexpected, and the unexpected is his return. He says, so when they say peace, safety, and security, now, let me just read this to you. That must, somehow, there's a distinction between this and the coming of Jesus described in Matthew 24, because Matthew 24 speaks of a time of, of great peril, of global catastrophe, and no one is saying peace and safety then. Let me read this to you. The second coming of Jesus described in Matthew 24 happens at a time of great global catastrophe when no one could possibly say peace and safety. So comparing passages like this shows that there must be in some way two aspects of Jesus' coming. One aspect of his coming is at an unexpected hour. The other is a sort of reading the signs of predicted time. One coming is to a business-as-usual world, and the other is to a world in cataclysm. One coming is to meet him in the air, 1 Thessalonians 4. The other uh, is him coming with the saints, Zechariah 14. But somehow people will be saying peace and safety. Everything is moving in the right direction. Then he comes. Verse 3. Like labor pains on a woman with child, and they will absolutely not escape. Trap says this, as labor puns, uh, pains upon a pregnant woman, they are certainly, they are suddenly, they are irresistibly and inevitably. inevitably. Those, those labor pains. Okay? And with greater frequency, that time, labor pains don't in and of themselves signify childbirth, but when they start to happen in more rapid succession, then that baby's coming. Verse 4 and 5, transition. But you, this will be you. This is us. This was written to us today. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. Can you say amen? You are not in darkness. You are not a child of the dark. To be in the dark is to be without Christ, is to be without life, is to be without hope. He is the God that lives in unapproachable light. And we come to him through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We are, and we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's your citizen. You know, I was kind of expecting a little more out of that. It was kind of like, like kind of light. Like, oh, you know, like light. You are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. There's that terminology again. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Notice the change in pronouns from they 
in the previous verses, to you. We are not in danger because we are not in darkness. This day will come as a thief upon whom those in the night. In some respect, the coming of Jesus will be a surprise for everybody because no one knows the day or the hour, according to Matthew 24. But for Christians who know the times and the seasons, it will not be a complete surprise. No one knows the exact hour the thief will come, but some people uh, live in a general preparation against the thief who will come. You live your life in a certain way, okay? And that's what I think Paul is trying to say. Listen, you don't know the time and the sea. You don't know the exact time, but you live your life in such a way that you expect Christ to come. So when he comes, you're not surprised. I believe the Holy Spirit will pour out something within the church to let people know the rapture's coming, it's coming, get ready. I just believe there will be a stirring in the hearts of people worldwide because that's not going to be the final push. The final push comes after we're gone. We get snatched up out of here. We get raptured out of here, and the world is left without Christians, a billion and a half, two billion, however many there are. But God will still give mankind an opportunity to repent until they take the mark. When they take the mark, there will be no repentance after that. The mark of the beast. Verse 6 through 8, Therefore, therefore, let us not, Sleep. <laughs> Paul the Apostle would say, wake up. Oh, slumber, you who sleep in slumber. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Okay? Don't sleep. Here's, this is how we live our life as children of the light. Let, don't sleep as others do. Watch and be sober. So what does that mean to be sober? Not the obvious. Although it could mean that. To be sober. Means not to be drunk. Or intoxicated. Whatever. Be sober. What does it mean? What do you think it means to be sober? Clear minded. Because when you're not. You're not clear. You're not clear in your thinking. You're not clear in your with my keys. I have my key. I'm, oh man, I, where's my car? I, man, it, and worse. <laughs> and worse. Right? Ooh, man. What else? What does it mean to be sober? Stable. Clear. Happy. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go with all that. Okay. Um, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And we're not just talking about physical sleep, right? You understand that. It's not like, well, of course we sleep at night unless you work graveyard, right? No, that's not what he's talking about. For those who sleep spiritually, sleep at night. For those who get drunk, are drunk at night. Um, now, you remember Paul's talking to a, a group of people who did not have lights. They had candles. And, you know, when nighttime came, it, it, people went to bed unless, of course, you were doing your, your, your dirt. Stay drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Spiritually speaking, Paul says, don't be asleep. Church, wake up, Paul says. Don't get caught napping. 
Be alert. Um, don't be indifferent to spiritual realities. The word sleep here, according to Hybert, says this. The word sleep is here used metaphorically to denote indifference to spiritual realities on the part of believers. It is a different world, a word than that in chapter 4, verse 13 and 15 for the sleep of death. Remember, we are, we, we, we are not, uh, we don't grieve as those without hope, those who have gone asleep. It's a different word he's talking about here. It covers all sorts of mortal, moral and spiritual laxity or insensitivity. Okay, you guys did a good definition of that, being asleep spiritually. Spurgeon said this, A city suffers under the plague with an official walking the streets crying out, Bring out the dead, bring out the dead, all the while a doctor with the cure in his pocket sleeps. He's giving analogies. A, a passenger ship reels under a storm and is about to crash on the rocks, bringing near certain death to hundreds of passengers, all the while the captain sleeps. Prisoner in his cell is about ready to be led to execution. His heart is terrified at the thought of hanging from his neck. Death and what awaits him after death. All the while, a man with a letter of pardon for the condemned man sits in another room and sleeps. Don't be asleep. He mentions our armor here. Faith and love are represented as a breastplate. Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. The breastplate covers the vital organs. Think flak jacket. It's, it's, it's the, the integral parts of, uh, of the, the vital organs. No soldier would ever go to war without a breastplate, flak jacket, bulletproof vest. And no Christian is equipped to live the Christian life without what? Faith and love. If you're a Christian and you don't, we're not perfect. You don't exercise faith and love, there's no breastplate. And so your vital organs are exposed. Faith and love. The hope of salvation is represented as a helmet. Because the helmet protects the what? The brain, our thinking, which is just as essential as the breastplate. Hope isn't used in the sense of wishful thinking, but a sense of confident expectation of God's hand in the future. So, salvation, hope, our salvation is assured and secured. And when you know that, that protects your thinking. How many people don't have a security in their salvation and therefore live their life in such a way that they try to earn God's love. So it protects our mind. Verse 9 through 11. For God did not appoint us to, what does your Bible say? Wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, Comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. Wrath. God did not appoint us. Who's us? Let's make sure we understand who we're talking about here. You, us, believers, the church. God did not appoint us to wrath. And the context of this wrath 
is the day of the Lord. That's what we've been talking about. And then Paul says, God hasn't appointed us to that. To be saved from the wrath of God is to be saved from the punishment of sin and death. Both the sin of Adam, which we all inherited, was passed on to us, and our own individual sin. Because the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. That's why he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What other man, created being, or anything could have absorbed or have placed on him all the wrath of mankind from Adam on? However many trillions of people have lived, I don't know. All of it, all of our sin in word and in thought and in deed, the punishment for it all, because God is a God of justice, he must deal with sin, and it was all poured out, the full measure of the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. My sin. I hadn't even been born yet. Christ died for me. Through and only through Christ Jesus is there salvation. That's why Jesus said he was the way, the truth. No one else was qualified to take on all of our sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might live to the righteousness of God. He, he wasn't a sinner, but our sin was transferred onto him, and it was so dark that the sun didn't shine. Complete blackness. It was almost as if creation says, we can't stand to look. That's dark. Let me read it again. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, uh, one another just as you also are doing. Whew. So when we hear about the latest rocket attack, when we hear about the rise of radical Islam. By the way, the final war could come down to Christianity and Islam. Not Christianity in the sense of battle, but Christ. There are many people who believe the Antichrist will be Islamic. There are many people who believe that. I don't know if they will or won't. <clears throat> when you hear about the latest evil, when you read something and you go... What's wrong with people? That's crazy. When you think we take one step forward as a society and then three backwards, look up. Because your redemption is near. At some point, 
Christ is going to take his church out of here. In the twinkling of an eye, gone, gone. And the day of the Lord begins. And then God steps in and deals. So, have you been living as those in the dark? Don't answer. None of us are perfect. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about habitual, continual living in darkness. What are you placing your hope in? Be assured that Christ's hope doesn't disappoint. Hebrews tells us that our hope in Christ is an anchor to our soul. What's the purpose of an anchor? Hmm? Keep us grounded. When? In storms. We need a good anchor to keep us in place. And that's our hope in Christ that doesn't disappoint. It's an anchor of our soul and a hope both sure and steadfast. Wow. First Thessalonians. Paul, the apostle, rocking and rolling. Serious. I can't wait to begin Second Thessalonians to see the follow-up. <laughs> Part two. So he writes to these dear believers, and then he's going to write to them again. What is he going to tell them? We'll get a good glimpse. I have a feeling that Second Thessalonians will speak loudly to us today, just as loud as First Thessalonians did. Amen? Amen. Father God, we are, we are, um, oof. Um, we feel like we've uh, tried to drink out of a fire hydrant tonight. Your word has been so powerful. And, and yet, Lord, we, um, we just confess our dependence on you. God, we can do nothing without you. Nothing, not one thing. We are uh, not discouraged, but we're encouraged. Um, we are lifted up tonight because your redemption draws nigh. The time of our departure is near. <laughs> um, we're not alarmist. We're realist, spiritually realist. We take your word at face value, and we say, Lord, help us to live in the light. Help us to walk in the light as children of light. And we know, Lord, we're going to need some help to do that. We're going to need some help from you by your spirit. And we're going to need some help from one another. So, God, we thank you for your word tonight. Speak by your spirit. Give us clean hands and a pure heart. May we not lift our soul to an idol. Lord God, let us be a generation that seeks your face. O oh God of Jacob, in Jesus' name. Amen.